our, our whole gospel is about change and repentance. We believe in it. We, we go off and serve, you know, 18 months, 24 months. We see people change. We believe in this. Um, I think one of the things that's really difficult is that sometimes you get to a point where you recognize this, this person isn't changing. And part of what's difficult about a, an abusive relationship is that a lot of times people who are abusing other people actually use their victim as a reason not to change. The victim becomes the scapegoat. The reason that everything wrong in their life is wrong. The reason they do the things that they shouldn't do. They, they make it all the victim's fault. And it's kind of an interesting doctrinal explanation when we, when we talk about the idea of antichrist, right? We often think anti means against Christ. But when you look at the roots of it, it also means something that serves as a substitute for, or tries to be in the place of Christ. Hmm. And the interesting thing to think about is that oftentimes in abusive relationships, the abuser is trying to use the victim as their atonement. An episode about abuse. I know you probably saw that come up in your pod fetchers and you're like, what? What are, what are we doing here? It's vital. It's needed. It's a difficult but well-crafted conversation about abuse and what abuse means and how abuse can look and how we can get ourselves out of abuse. Uh, there have been enough people who have gotten in contact with me that have said we need to talk more about this, that I sought out an episode to be able to talk about it. I also share my own interactions with abuse. And uh, when I say uh, enjoy, that I hope you enjoy this episode, that's not what I'm going to say. I hope that you find tremendous worth from this episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. Excited to be able to share this episode with you. Now, we have thrown it out several times in various episodes in the past that if ever you have someone that you think, you know what would be a great episode of The Cultural Hall, that you can email us, contact at theculturalhall.com, and likely we will talk to that person. Well, that is how this episode came about. Uh, a Patreon Saint, Michael, he emailed and said, hey, Richie, my friend Ryan Anderson would be a very interesting interview for the Cultural Hall. He's written a book called The Choice to Leave Abuse, and he also started Telos U, which is a treatment center for teens and young adults. Ryan, welcome to the Cultural Hall. Thank you. So uh, let's get to know you a little bit about uh, just some of your background. Uh, give me an idea who Ryan is, and then let's launch into uh, a very, what I'm assuming is not going to be lighthearted as we talk about the choice to leave abuse. No, as much as I like to have a, a fun conversation, this tends not to be one. Um, but it's an important one. So yeah, a little and bit needed. About needed, yeah, for sure. So a little bit about me, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about myself, both as a professional um, and within the church. First of all, I am I am a very, very loyal member of the church. Um, it's something that I find has blessed me and my family in so many ways, which is funny because a lot of times when people talk about abuse, especially abuse happening in the church, what they're expecting is a, a critic, right? Someone who's very critical, who has negative feelings. Um, but I come in saying, I actually think what the church is teaching, the actual policies, the actual doctrines are very liberating and very important, but sometimes get lost in other factors. Hmm. Um, in the church, I've had lots of different callings. I've been everywhere from primary to scouting to Sunday school. Right now, any calling I have, my favorite calling is, is any calling I can have and, and do it together with my wife. So right now we're doing Sunday school with the uh, 12-year-olds, 11, 12-year-olds. So oh, it's cool. kind of a thing as far as myself professionally, um, I got my bachelor's and master's from Brigham Young University. My master's is in marriage and family therapy. Then I went on to get my PhD in medical family therapy, which is the intersection between mental health and physical health. That was at East Carolina University. My internship was at Duke University Hospital wow. in their cancer center. Yeah, I spent a lot of time there working with cancer patients and their families. There's actually a lot of interesting 
interplay between what's going on in someone's relationships and how they do with things like cancer. That's a whole other conversation for another day. Um, but I spent a lot of time working with people in kind of crisis situations, end of life situations. And it, it got to a point I loved doing that work, but it also made me think about people who had their whole lives in front of them. Uh, and from there, I, I kind of pursued some opportunities to start working with teens. I worked in a wilderness therapy program for a while, which I loved. Um, learned to make fire with nothing but sticks, all that kind of fun stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and had some amazing experiences. And from there, um, became very familiar, especially with young adults who were um, neurodivergent in some ways. So maybe they have autism, ADHD, something like that. And became really aware of the, the struggles they have crossing into adulthood sometimes. And so got together with a group of like-minded people and formed TLOSU. And then in my personal life, I have an amazing wife who I think is the best person who ever walked this earth. Sorry for anyone with a different opinion. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, everybody else. She's the most sorry, amazing. Yeah, that's okay. I, I hope you all have someone that you feel the same way about and they feel the same way about you. Um, and then we have four teenagers. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And they're, they're all great kids. Love every single one of them. Two of them are actually graduating from high school next month. Um, and so we're, we're about to embark on a couple of new adventures for our family as well. Um, as far as where my interest for the topic of my book came from, um, well, one doesn't write a book about abuse coming from smiley, happy places, right? Um, Seems to me that there would be a personal connection uh, that someone would have to write about it. And so before you get into it, I want to ask you, or rather say, I apologize. I, I should have called you Dr. Anderson. So let me <laughs> apologize for that because I, I mean, when you spend as much time to get the two letters in front of your name, you deserve it every time. Or if it's the three letters at the end of the name, whatever it is, let you be Ryan Anderson, PhD, or Dr. Ryan Anderson, whenever I, uh, whenever I address you. So my, yeah. my apology. You know, another thing to know about me is I spend all that time becoming Dr. Anderson and absolutely no one in the world calls me that. Um, <laughs> all, of, all of my clients call me Ryan. Um, for me, it's a little bit of, well, well, what I wanted to do is I wanted to educate myself and become the best instrument I could to help other people. Um, I also, I fully recognize that I'm only one of several influences in that, in that room. That's me. It's the other person. I, I always feel God is very involved in every therapy session, mm -hmm. um, whether I'm whether I'm seeing how he's involved or not. And so one of the things that I'm always remembering is I'm I'm Ryan. Um, I've worked really hard, but that person needs to know me as a person. I need to be a person in the room. And and of all the things I've learned, if I don't bring the person in the room, then all of my knowledge and skills that I've worked on really doesn't matter that much. Hmm. I like that. I still will call you Dr. Anderson, but I appreciate well, that. <laughs> I, will, uh, I will take it for the compliment you intended to be. Uh, I also, you, you made a great point to say that you are tremendously loyal to the church. So I just want to ask you a question around that. The call comes out that we moved to Missouri. Are you in a handcart moving to Missouri tomorrow, next week, or next month? Like how loyal are we when we talk about that? The good news is that after six and a half years in wilderness therapy, uh, getting to Missouri is not so hard. If, if I'm being told to go in a handcart, I'm hoping they'll let me take my van. Yeah. Um, but I, I think knowing myself and knowing my wife, if the prophet said, this is where we need you to be, we'd, we'd be there. Pack it up pack tomorrow. Up you're on the way. Be there tomorrow. Look at that. Okay. Okay. So now uh, I wanted to bring a little bit of levity before we dive deep into this, as I'm sure, Appreciate as we both noted, you know, needed. Uh, one of the things that that um, that turned me to wanting to talk to you is that uh, enough of us don't have the conversations about abuse, these tough conversations. I, we should probably throw out some sort of warning that if you have found yourself in an abuse situation, there very well could be something that we talk about today that could, in fact, be triggering. Or if there are little ears that might be hearing what we're about to talk about, this might be a great time for you to hit pause and to come back at this uh, another time when you can really digest it. On a really base level, when we talk about abuse, is there a... Um, 
Is there, I think our mind goes to either some sort of sexual abuse or physical abuse. Is there a all-encompassing definition that would, that would really set the stage for when we're talking about abuse? Sure. And I appreciate you kind of talking about that because there are the types of abuse that are, are more obvious, right? More of us think about. But if there's one core to all abuse that is shared, it is the desire to use some kind of power and control over some other person in some way, whether it's emotional, physical, it's taking your agency to try to override the agency of someone else in some way. Um, that may be a slightly oversimplified definition, but when you take a look at the different types of abuse, they're, they're of course physical abuse. People recognize, okay, if I'm hitting, punching, slapping, biting someone, that's easy to recognize as abuse. Um, but the, again, there's sexual, there's emotional and psychological, there's verbal, there's even spiritual abuse. Um, we don't often talk about it that way, but even in the, the most recent training that we now have for people who work with children and youth, it even addresses the idea of spiritual abuse. Let's take and a so, moment and, and talk about what that spiritual abuse may look like, because I think there's enough people that are listening to this going, wait, what? I'm, I'm with you with the other ones, uh, but what, what does spiritual abuse look like? Well, the first place I'd point anyone is, is, is for a doctrinal explanation is to go to Doctrine and Covenants section 121 where it talks about unrighteous dominion, um, where it talks about if someone tries to use the virtue of the priesthood, and that can mean a lot of things, whether they hold the priesthood, the calling they have, the idea of the gospel, to try to exert power or influence or control over anyone else in any degree of unrighteousness. God is saying that is such a serious thing that you can say amen to the priesthood of that person. So the interesting thing is one of the things I love about so many Latter-day Saints is they really want to do the right thing. They want to be obedient. They want to keep their covenants. They believe in revelation. They believe in, in people having stewardship over them and using that to guide them. Spiritual abuse is when someone knows that about someone else and therefore takes ideas of spirituality, the idea of gospel principles, positions, and uses that to try to control what someone else thinks, feels, or does. And I can give a couple of examples. Um, some are more mild, some are, are more extreme. So I've, I've worked with a number of families where the way that the father and the family approaches the family is saying, I am the priesthood holder, all in capital letters. Mm -hmm. I am the patriarch. And therefore, in this family, I receive all personal revelation. And therefore, if there's anything you're, you're seeking for from God, I will pray about it. I will get the answer. I will tell you what it is. Now, you and I can both say that's not the way this is supposed to work, right? Right. But he's taking a concept which has true roots and gospel wording and using it to be an instrument of power and control. And people can do the same thing with, with shame, um, with blame. Um, some people may say, you've made covenants for wives to be submissive to their husbands. By the way, no one has. <laughs> but um, Spoiler. <laughs> spoiler alert. Sorry about that, guys. Um and so there's all these ways where you can take a gospel principle and say, because I am in this position, you have to do, think, feel what I say. And I'm going to tell you that the reason why is because that's what the prophet would say, or that's what God would say. Um, and so sometimes it can be, sometimes it's actually trying to get people to do things that, that the gospel would ask us to do. For example, hey, look, it's Sunday morning. It's time to go to church. Um, and the teenager in the family is saying, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to go to church. And I'm not sure that you can make me. Well, I've certainly seen times where people are saying, it is, is my job to make sure this child gets to church. And I have seen verbal abuse happen to try to get the child to church, physical abuse to happen to try to get the child to go to church. I've seen sexual abuse happen to try to get the child to go to church. But in their mind is I'm trying to help something that God commands us to do happen. And therefore, whatever I do to try to make that happen is justified. So that is both 
a form of, again, the verbal, the physical, whatever it may be, but also it's, I'm trying to force their agency. And this is an idea we should actually all be very familiar with. We think about the war in heaven. Satan was trying to perform an act of spiritual abuse by saying, I'm going to use my agency to override everyone else's. But you will notice of all of God being all powerful, what's the one thing he never does? He never uses his agency to overpower anyone else's. And so that provides a framework by which we can begin to understand spiritual abuse a little better. Another, I guess, would be what, like a leader, a bishop or a a stake president, someone in authority would have the opportunity to to spiritually Mm -hmm. abuse? Absolutely. Um, I've, you know, and, and sometimes it can be done in the guise of giving a lesson. And again, there's, there's, don't want to get into too many gory details, but it sure. can be because I'm the bishop, I'm telling you, you need to do X, Y, and Z with your life. That may or may not be something that, that, uh, you know, is in the gospel or not, but because I'm in this position, I get to tell you how to make these decisions, which really are yours to make, or I get to tell you how to feel about things. Or, you know, unfortunately, and, and we do have to speak about this, there are times where bishops, Relief Society presidents, um, elders, quorum presidents, teachers sometimes use the position of trust they have with someone to, to violate them, you know, whether it's a, a sexual abuse or to tell them, hey, look, I'm going to run your life for you. You trust me so much. You trust that what I'm giving you is the same as if God was telling it to you that I allow myself to get a little bit of a big head about that and I unright- and I unrighteously use my position to make choices for you that are your choices to make. Hmm. And I also, my mind kind of goes to, you know, the ways that we're taking adv- advantage of, and I guess in some form it's a- abuse when we talk about things like affinity fraud or how people will trust their leaders because these are righteous individuals. And of course, and so we sort of, we, we, we place that faith and that trust, and then those individuals take advantage of that. And, and on, in some way, that's a, a form of abuse. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Any, anytime someone tries to take something good about you and tries to use it to take advantage of you or hurt you or someone else, that falls into that, that category of abuse. So, Ryan, I want to take, I'm sorry, Dr. Anderson, I want to take a break real quick. And when we come back, I want to talk about uh, this idea of leaving abuse. It's part of the title of your book, but really, really difficult. And I think probably where the, the main part of the rest of our discussion will go. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, do not forget that you can become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. Just go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Uh, If you were watching the video, which by the way, the only way you get to see the videos of these episodes is if you are a Patreon saint, you get to recognize that Dr. Anderson, I think, and I'm not positive because I didn't ask him about this, is a huge Star Wars fan. It looks like he's got a Star Wars BB-8 pillow. What is that behind you? I've got a a probe droid back there. I've got a walker. This is what happens when you let your kids decorate your office. But the good news is they know me very well. So if you could see around the rest of my office, you'd see I've got dinosaurs, I've got stuff from China, I've got sci-fi stuff, I've got stuff from wilderness. I, I think eclectic is the right <laughs> name for Memphis. But if you are not a Patreon saint, you don't get to see any of it. So go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Uh, put your money where your mouth is or where your ear holes are, whatever. It support the the cultural hall a little financially. Why, why don't you? It's patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Now, Dr. Anderson, uh, I, I have shared this before in the cultural hall, but have not ever shared this with you because this is our first time talking. But uh, in my first marriage, found 
found myself in an abusive situation, uh, both uh, verbal abuse as well as financial abuse, which come to find out is also a thing. I had no idea that 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 was a a thing that could occur. And boy, it's not very fun. Um, And so I share that with you to let you know that, you know, this idea of having it be difficult to leave is something that hands-on I have experienced. Luckily, it was for me not a physical abuse or a sexual abuse, um, but but abuse was not a fun or pleasant thing, even though mine happened to be verbal and or financial. So why is it so hard? I think someone that hasn't been in an abusive situation just goes, well, hey, just leave. Just get out of it. Just be done in that situation. Don't do it anymore. Why is that so hard? Well, first of all, um, there's there's a piece of validation I'd like to give you. You know, sometimes people come to me and then, then they say, well, it was, just, it was just verbal. It was just emotional. But when you really look at the research on it, that's like saying, don't worry. It was just the worst part. <laughs> you know, it's just the part that kind of sticks with you the most and plays with your head the very most. So there's, there's a lot of reasons why it is so hard to leave. Um, and, and some of them are, are very specific. I think for a lot of us as, as Latter-day Saints, uh, our marriages, you know, if that's the relationship, that's the abusive one, they mean a lot to us, not just the marriage, but it's a part of our, our temple experience or temple covenants. And so many people are worried saying, hey, look, I've heard so many talks over the years about divorce not being the answer and all these other kinds of things. And I believe in my covenants. I don't want to break them. Um, so for a lot of, of Latter-day Saints, it's not only the relationship itself, it's their discipleship. And they're very worried about shattering their discipleship. Now, I think when you really look into it, recognizing, look, if, an, if, if a spouse is abusing, is abusing you, abuse is antithetical to every covenant we make. You cannot abuse someone without breaking your covenants, without breaking all of your covenants. And so one thing that Latter-day Saints need to recognize is if someone is abusing you, the choice you have is not whether you're going to keep your covenants or break them. That covenant has been broken. The choice that you have is, is this something that I feel can change and become safe? And do I want to try to help it change and become safe? Or is it not going to be that way and do I need to leave? Now, the thing, the thing with abuse, what is common with all kinds of abuse is, first of all, when it comes from family relationships, those are relationships where we go into them and, and you expect, you have a very real expectation that the person's going to love you, to care about you, to really look out for your best interest. And the thing about abusive relationships that sometimes people don't understand is they go through cycles and usually there's a, a buildup of tension that gets to a point where there's some kind of major event. And then following the major event, there's, there's a honeymoon phase where they're usually very, very repentant, very, even very affectionate, very kind. And then things kind of start to build up again. But you're always like, well, maybe that was the last time through. Mm-hmm. But part of what's tricky about abusive relationships is they're not always actively abusive. You have this back and forth. You have experiences that feel good. You have experiences that feel bad. Each time you hope that your head's finally coming above water and this is going to be the time it's going to stay. In a lot of ways, it actually becomes a little bit like a slot machine. You know, you never know when you're going to win, but it always feels like it's just one more pull of the lever away that you're going to get there and you're finally going to make it. And that really plays tricks with somebody's head. But more than that is that in most cases where there is abuse, there's also a lot of what's called gaslighting, where where they begin to teach you to doubt your own senses, your own perception of things. And you you do that yourself. You're like, sometimes it feels like it's so horrific that your body would rather believe that you misperceived or you misunderstood, you know, they're usually telling you, well, you're making more out of this than it really is. Anyway, you hear that enough, you go through that cycle enough, you get to a point where you don't know how to trust your own senses anymore, your own wisdom. You begin to wonder, am am I crazy? Mm -hmm. Um, Am I the one who's, who's maybe, maybe I'm bad for them. 
maybe I'm the reason. And they usually tell you this, look, if you just didn't do X, Y, or Z, I wouldn't have to treat you this way. <laughs> if you were just more this way or less that way. And what's really difficult is that a lot of people who, who learn to abuse become very good at also kind of recruiting other people to this idea that you're the problem. Um, and sometimes they're very proactive about it. You know, they can go in, I've seen people go in and proactively sort of butter up a bishop mm. so that when the bishop comes, when, when the person who's being abused comes to the bishop, the bishop already has this wonderful relationship with this other person. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, okay. I see where the real problem is here. So this, this is what's difficult is reality gets bent both outside of you and inside of you. And then for many people, your, your life becomes so entwined. I mean, imagine it, it's your spouse. What if it's one of your parents? How do you even begin to imagine transitioning to a different lifestyle? And for a lot of people, they feel like, well, to leave abuse would be to be alone, mm -hmm. to be unloved, to be an outcast in the Latter-day Saint community, to be financially ruined for the rest of your life. Like there's a lot of these things that feel like real obstacles. And at the end of the day, the one thing that abuse tends to introduce to everyone who's being abused is doubt, including doubt about whether you deserve anything better. And that is tremendously crippling. And there's so many more, but these, these are some of those factors that make the idea of saying, you know, maybe this isn't what I want my life to be. Maybe I want to do something different that sometimes that, that doesn't even cross your mind because it's so different from everything that you're experiencing. It, it's a fascinating intersection and hopefully I can put voice to what I feel like a, a lot of people that would be listening to this would say. Uh, but of course the only vantage point that I have is my own experience. And, and one of the things that I found to be most difficult as I tried to navigate my way through it is the idea that people can change is a, is a massive gospel principle, right? Yes. That we, that, you know, Enos or Alma the Younger, right? He, he was this way and then he became this complete opposite thing. And, and I think that when we say that out loud, maybe it sounds a little ridiculous, but I think that some of those things are so born within us that we go, well, of course this person could change like that. It, it needs to be some sort of miracle. Maybe it's a, a life event that needs to occur. Maybe I need to do that thing. And so an interesting way where the church specifically gets intertwined with this is we start to mix our faith and what we believe about with people into this person who is also abusive, and then we end up staying far longer than we ever would have if we didn't have the faith of what we thought you know, that, that repentance was possible or that, you know, a, a turnaround could be. I have heard many other people say exactly what you just said. And, you know, I think through the process of, of going through this journey with a number of people over the years and kind of going through some of my own experiences and seeing some of my loved ones go through, I mean, you're right. Like we are, our whole gospel is about change and repentance. We believe in it. We, we go off and serve, you know, 18 months, 24 months. We see people change. We believe in this. Um, I think one of the things that's really difficult is that sometimes you get to a point where you recognize this, this person isn't changing. And part of what's difficult about a, an abusive relationship is that a lot of times people who are abusing other people actually use their victim as a reason not to change. The victim becomes the scapegoat. Hmm. The reason that everything wrong in their life is wrong. The reason they do the things that they shouldn't do. They, they make it all the victim's fault. And it's kind of an interesting doctrinal explanation when we, when we talk about the idea of antichrist, right? Mm -hmm. We often think anti means against Christ. But when you look at the roots of it, it also means something that serves as a substitute for or tries to be in the place of Christ. Hmm. And the interesting thing to think about is that oftentimes in abusive relationships, the abuser is trying to use the victim as their atonement, as the one who's going to carry their sins. And therefore, they don't repent because they're essentially downloading the responsibility for their shortcomings and the ways they need to change onto their victim. And so it becomes this 
antichrist thing. Um, and so sometimes I've definitely seen multiple situations where the personal revelation that the person who is being abused got was, I believe this person can change, but in the context of this relationship, they are never going to. And one of the most loving things I can do for this person is to remove myself from this relationship so they can no longer use me as that antichrist. And so they can have a shot at actually repenting and changing. That's kind of a, it's an upside down thought Sure. until you're into it and you realize, well, that is the way a lot of these abusive relationships work. It, it's fascinating to note that, uh, you know, that people would find their way out of it um, in some ways, being able to say, this is the greatest gift of love that I can give to this individual. I'm out. But I feel like most people go, I can't do this anymore because, you know, because it's I, I, yeah, I, it's, it's destroying me emotionally. I said, if you hit me one more time that I would walk and I finally have, you know, that strength to be able to, to walk out. How, wh why do you think it happens far more that instead of being like, listen, I'm going to go and this can be a gift of love and it's just separating. Why as humans, do we not often take that road and instead wait until it's, this is so bad. I can't take anymore. I'm out. Well, I, I think a lot of that has to do with, with the individual and what they need to be able to feel okay with their decision. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know some people who, and again, I know a lot of Latter-day Saints where the idea is I, I would lay down my life for someone else, um, even if that person is not deserving. And in some ways that feels like a very Christ-like thing to do because isn't that what the Savior did for all of us? Right. Um, and so it can feel like this, this is what I must do to be Christ-like. Um, I think for a lot of people, um, what it kind of comes down to is they're saying, well, why, why would I leave? Why would I leave? You know, is it my, my soul's destroyed? Is it that my faith is being shattered? Is it that I honestly think I'm going to die? Is it that I can see this is what, what's happening to my kids? Either that they're being abused or I worry that they're going to become like the abuser because they're, they're raised with this, they see this. So one of the things I've found is that I think there's not necessarily one morally superior experience to the other. Mm -hmm. I think every person has their own thing that brings them to kind of wake up and realize this, this isn't good and it's not going to change. And those, and well, and then there's always has to be a third piece is somehow I have found hope that something better can happen because without that piece, people don't make the choice. So if someone is listening to this and they're like, well, I'm not sure that this is abuse. And maybe it is. And maybe it's not. Oh, I, you know, I don't know. I think that for some people, there's kind of that gray area. Are there questions that they can ask themselves or like, uh, <laughs> this is terrible. This is where the inappropriate levity comes to, to, you know, from me, but like, is there the Facebook quiz where you can ask five questions and, and then you respond and it's like, yeah, you are, which is terrible. But I mean, is there, <laughs> is, is there something that, you know, you can do a quick kind of download or, or reset and go, all right, am I this, am I this, am I this? All right. So there's, there's a couple questions I would ask, right? So, so one thing I would look at is I'd, I'd start by asking, how often does this person demonstrate contempt for you, hmm. right? Where, where the message that you are getting is that you are disgusting, revolting, despicable, you know, that, that sense that, hey, look, you're lucky I love you because no one else would. I have yet to meet a healthy relationship where that statement is ever said. Hmm. Um, so if you take a look, uh, researcher John Gottman said, in healthy relationships, the amount of contempt is essentially zero. That doesn't mean that every relationship where there's contempt is absolutely an abusive relationship, but it does mean it's not healthy. But it's a really good indicator that, you know, this, this could be an abusive relationship. Two, how often 
are the things going on in your relationship about the other person trying to exert power and control over you. Because all abuse is about power and control. Do they try to change the way you think, the way you feel? Do they try to isolate you from other people? Um, how often are you being blamed for their actions? Um, if you are being hit or physically impacted, or if there's the threat of violence, even if there's not violence, the threat of violence is as controlling as violence itself. In fact, more so. Star Wars reference, right? <laughs> Fear of this station will keep them in line, right? Same idea. I don't have to hit you. You just have to think I'm going to hit you. I don't actually have to attempt to kill you. You just have to think I'm about to. Hmm. And that's enough. Um, does this person, do they seem to want to make me the, the fault for everything in their life? Um, do, they, do they micromanage who I can talk to? Um, do, they, do I have to get permission from them to do things? Um, do they ever do things to the children to try to change what I'm doing? Hmm. Um, these are all things. There's, there's, a, there's a model I really like. You can Google this, the Duluth, D-U-L-U-T-H model. It's this wonderful wheel that talks about different aspects of abuse. Uh, and each one, whether it's physical, emotional, relational, the way they kind of do these. But the biggest question you have to ask yourself is, do I ever feel afraid, controlled, or humiliated by this other person? That's kind of my, my, my first question. Do I feel afraid, controlled, or humiliated? And if you answer yes to any of those three, then it's time to start asking more questions. I want to take another break. When we come back in the third block, I want to talk about how we might be able to, uh, I'll church word it, be uh, endowed uh, with the power to be able to leave. What things we maybe need to to say to ourselves or to others, because as you've indicated, sometimes these are situations where families are uprooted, uh, finances, etc. cetera. Uh, let's talk about how we can have the power to leave abuse. Coming back in the third block of the Cultural Hall. I uh, want to give a shout out right now, uh, Megan, that is uh, listener Megan. I'm not sure if she's a lifer or a convert here of the Cultural Hall, uh, but she heard me talk about how I do uh, podcast consulting and said, you know what, there's a thing, a, a thing that's been burning inside of me, and I want to be able to share and do this podcast. So she reached out to me and said, hey, what about this? And we're right smack in the middle of that class as I record this. And uh, it's fun to hear her start to do interviews and be able to receive that coaching and me be able to walk alongside her and say, yes, this is great. I love what you're doing here. Oh, you may want to think about doing this a little bit differently and uh, just being able to, to help and nurture and be able to share the things that she feels like she's, you know, truly God called to share. So if you've got something burning inside you, you're thinking, you know what, I've, I've thought about doing a podcast, but is it that easy? Uh, you can reach out to me. I'm Richie T. Stedman on all the social medias, or you can just drop into the DMs for the cultural hall. I answer those too. Uh, would love to hear from you and work with you uh, as you work on your newest, latest, and greatest project. Hey friends, Dan the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. As you know, there's been a huge video card shortage for computers. We have tons of NVIDIA and AMD video cards right now available with complete systems. Check us out right now at PCLaptops.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, uh, remember you can always join the Cultural Hall back row. It's a free group. It's where almost 300 people are hanging out. We have tangential conversations that rarely, rarely have anything to do with what the actual episodes are about. Uh, someone will mention, like, for example, we talked about the Star Wars pillows that were behind Dr. Anderson. I guarantee you someone will go, who is a Patreon saint, find those pillows and be able to share the link so that other people can buy those pillows. That's the kind of stuff that the Cultural Hall Back Row is all about. You can find it on Facebook. Just ask to be a member. We'll let you in. We're not very picky. You do have to ask, though. We're not just going to add you. The Cultural Hall Back Row. Dr. Anderson, uh, let's talk about the power to leave. It is... It was a thing for me, since we're using uh, my own example, as I think it's a pretty standard one. Uh, it was a thing for me where I'd gotten to the point where I was like, this is not healthy. I'm not able to be with my family the way that I'd like to be with my family. And I just had sort of dread 
not thoughts of like ending my life, but I just was like, there has got to be, and I would say this oftentimes out loud, life has got to be more than what this is. And I remember after a particular situation that that came out, I said to my ex-wife, I said, these things, if you would like me to come back, these are the things that need to occur, change, or be. And when I packed up my bag and left that day, I knew that I would never be coming back because I knew that those things would never be met. But it took me almost six years when I knew that at about a year. And it's five years that I look at where I just was like, I mean, I guess I had to walk out and feel everything and felt like I left no, you know, no uh, stone unturned, no avenue not traveled, right? Counseling and the whole thing. But, But ultimately, then I was able to walk away. I think that I would have been better suited not being in that for those five years of abuse. I just didn't have the strength to do it. You know, I'm glad you bring that up. And it, it is it is hard. I think maybe it's our pioneer stock. I don't know what it is where we're where we're kind of used to hardship. We accept hardship. We believe that's going to be a part of our lives. But I think especially when we're talking about our closest relationships, husbands, wives, parents, and children, those aren't supposed to be one of our hardships. Um well, and know, it's I, and it's funny just to speak to it though, because people will always say, you know, marriage can be hard. And so you sort of espouse that as well. And then now being married a second time and going, oh, no, no, no. Exactly, right? <laughs> that was and different. That's one thing I'd say is like, for example, I mean, the, the hardest thing for me in, in my marriage is that I don't get to see my wife as often as I'd like to. Um, you know, and that's a whole other conversation about how do we as Latter-day Saints approach dating and marriage? And could we be a little smarter about that? And could that save us some heartache? But Maybe that's a conversation for another day. I'm open for it, Dr. Anderson. But um, so so what helps someone become endowed with the power? Well, there's a couple of things. One, I think it helps for many people when I talk with people about what changed for them is when they finally are able to say out loud to someone else what's occurring. You know, I, I call it the Voldemort effect. If you can't say Voldemort's name, he has power over you, Right. And so part of the rebellion of, of Harry and his, his friends is they start calling him Voldemort. Um, and, and, and the funny thing is you find that in all kinds of tales. It's in, it's in Welsh mythology. It's in Greek mythology. It's in Egyptian mythology. The ability to call something what it is, call its name, has power. And then to see that someone else can listen to what you're saying and go, yeah, I, I think that is abuse there's tremendous power because you're so used to saying, if anyone, everyone's going to think I'm being unreasonable, selfish, whatever it may be. So one thing that endows us with power is saying it to someone else, having someone talk with us. Another thing that's important they find in a Latter-day Saint population, the biggest indicator of whether people have the strength and the courage to leave an abusive relationship is if they feel their immediate priesthood leader supports them in it. Hmm. Uh, and there's a whole conversation we can have about that, and which is difficult because for a long time, I know bishops felt that they had a mandate to tell people you have to stay. Um, but now if you read the updated policies from the church, it said you should never counsel someone to stay in an abusive relationship. That should never be the counsel. They, they can make their choices, but never should you say, I, I think you need to stay. And so that's, in fact, in the research that was done, that was the number one factor about whether Latter-day Saints are willing to transition out of an abusive relationship is feeling that their immediate priesthood leaders supported them in the decision. So just as a quick pause, because I know it's a much longer conversation, but does that sound like from the bishop or leader, hey, I support you in whatever you decide to do? Uh, I know that this is hard and I, you know, I've got you whatever you need or, or, or for that leader that's listening to this, that may, you know, have this intersection with this, like what, what do they say that, that is supportive of whatever that person may decide? Um, It looks like a couple of things, but in general, it looks like one, God does not want you to be hurt. Mm. And you need to understand that if you make the choice to leave, to stop being hurt, that one, God will support it, and two, we will support it. 
and we'll help you figure out what you need to do, where you need to go to be safe, um, help you find what you need to rebuild your life. That there's just that general idea that you have every right to choose to be someplace where you feel safe and loved. And if that is not this relationship, then we will help, we will help and support you to make the choice to leave it if that is your choice. And again, there's a lot of nuance, but it's something to that effect. Ah, that's powerful. I interrupted you wherever you were going. Sorry about that. I'll have to try to remember where I was going with that. So yeah, number, number two, that's, so that's the most influential thing. Number three, there are practical blocks to leaving. Where am I going to live? Um, for a lot of people, you know, especially sometimes in, in very abusive relationships, you have someone who has not been allowed to finish an education, has not been allowed to work a job, has not been allowed to have friends. They don't have connections. They don't have, they'll take, like, take a look and say, who's going to support me and how will I support myself? And so finding out what are the resources, both within the church and outside of the church that can help meet those practical needs and cross those boundaries. For a lot of people, that's a really important point. I've, I've known some people who do these amazing leaps of faith and they step in the River Jordan, you know, and it parts five steps into their, <laughs> you know, their journey across. But most people need to feel like they can at least see the next step and that there's a logical choice forward. And there's a lot we can do. Um, both within the church. I have a whole chapter in the book about if you are uh, a local leader in the church and someone is looking for help, here's what you can do, both as far as what the church has and how it can connect. I think also people, people really, really need, as much as they need all these things about specifically helping them with the abuse, they also need people who are just going to love them and be there and who they can talk to about their hardships, but also can just connect with them as a person because so many people feel like they've lost themselves when they've been in an abusive relationship and they need to have other people to be around them to begin to rediscover themselves, to learn that I am lovable, I am likable. I People actually will want to have me around. They, they need that experience. That's, that's kind of this reparative experience that they have. And sometimes, you know, along the way, people begin to realize I, there's some things I really need to relearn. Maybe there were some gospel principles that were being used against me. Mm -hmm. They need to learn what they really are. Maybe there were some ways that relationships work that were distorted that I need to relearn. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm a therapist, so I'm a big proponent of therapy. Mm -hmm. The church is also a big proponent of therapy for people who have been through abusive relationships. Um, I think knowing about what kinds of, of therapies work really well for trauma, uh, because a lot of times people will find that physically they're dysregulated, they're not sleeping well, they're having nightmares, they're having flashbacks, they, they come around things that, that trigger old memories and suddenly they're back in the middle of it in their head. Um, one therapy type that I really encourage people to look into if they're trying to recover is something called EMDR stands for eye movement, deep desensitization and reprocessing. I kind of talking about when I learned to do EMDR, I felt like I went to Hogwarts and someone handed me a magic wand to help people with, uh, with uh, trauma. Um, so there's lots of good therapies, but, but seek out competent, well-trained people. Um, I often tell people, look, you and I might go to just our regular doctor for a checkup, but if we have cancer, we want to go to a specialist, an oncologist. Yeah. Most therapists are trained generally with things like depression and anxiety, but trauma and abuse are specialty items. And so if I were going to encourage you, if you're looking for therapy, to find out someone who has specialized training in, in trauma and abuse, because there is, there's a whole other level to being able to work with that competently. And if you are trying to recover, you deserve someone who has done all they can to be the best instrument they can be to help you. You know, as you were speaking to my mind was, was brought to the idea that oftentimes when we, we see someone um, leave an abusive situation, um, whether it be their, you know, their marital relationship or familial, um, we, we see that person uh, take a step away from the church for a hot minute. 
And I think sometimes um, as members of the church, unfortunately, we judge the crap out of that person, uh, you know, just being like, oh, I, you know, this is the time you need it the most. Why would you step away? And knowing, you know, that that very well it could be some aspect of that abuse was abuse was some either spiritual in some way or power and control because of that or you know then then not understanding the feelings of hoping that that person can change and you know that gets attached to the religious component and aspect of that uh i, I think it it's worth noting and and stating you know that those people that are finding themselves out of relationships we don't know what's going on and and to give them a a little bit of of space and just love and saying, Hey, you know what? Okay. We're, I'm here. I'm so glad you bring that up. I mean, that that's the difficult part. Sometimes they don't even necessarily have hard feelings. I mean, I, I will say, unfortunately, sometimes people have had experiences where when they've gone to a Bishop for help, they've been told you're the problem. You need to do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. You need to be more submissive to this person. So sometimes there have been real hard experiences Sometimes it's been the difficulty of I've sat next to this person in a pew for years and I felt like I've been living this very public lie mm -hmm. and I just can't do it right now. This isn't about my feelings about the gospel. It's just, I'm too raw or it could be, Hey, look, all these principles been messed up and used as weapons against me. And I've got some things to sort out. So the most powerful thing is saying, Hey, look, the most important thing is we need to help these people have experiences with two things, with love and the spirit. And the good news is the experiences we give these people with love will invite the spirit. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if they're not coming to church, then love them, be there, support them. Don't guilt them. Don't tell them, Hey, look, you know, you really need to be in church for God to help you. Well, I believe in the church with all my heart, but I know God helps people in every valley of sorrow they find themselves in. And if that means that right now they can't show up at church, that's okay. I think God understands that better than any of the rest of us. And there's a path, there's a path step-by-step step that will bring them back to where they need to be. We need to be okay with them being with where they are and just love them and be there for them and let them know that both from a, a, an emotional point of view, but also from a real practical point of view, that, that we're willing to be there and help them with what they need. Well said. Uh, when we started this conversation, you said that someone doesn't often study something like this, having not had some sort of personal experience um, through it. At the, at the depth and breadth that you're willing, I would be curious to know, uh, uh, I guess, a little bit about that with you, and then w the, the power and the strength of where you're at present day. Yeah. So I can certainly speak to that. Um, for me personally, there have been several stages in my life where I myself have experienced some kind of abuse, whether that was from bullying, that was emotional and physical, that would happen at church, both by peers, but sometimes also by adults. Um, whether that was some physical things that happened to me at scout camp that I sure didn't think were funny. Mm -hmm. um, whether that was um, in situations where I had people say that from their spiritual position, I had to make certain very important life decisions that were the opposite of what my heart told me. But because I had been raised and I believe firmly, look, my, my priesthood leaders won't lead me astray, led me down some really dark paths uh, with some real deep pain um, until I began to realize that that wasn't from God. That was someone misusing their, their position. Um, and then I have some people I, I love dearly um, who have also been through both the, the physical, the verbal, sexual on various levels. So both for myself and for, for some of the people who are closest to me, we've, we've lived through this. Um, I think that's helpful because we turn to each other and we get it. Like we understand, but I don't have to explain myself to them or, or vice versa. Um, and what it has done, there definitely have been times where I felt like I was empty inside or like I was hard, like I couldn't feel anything anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but also what it's done is it's softened 
softened my heart more than anything else to realize, hey, look, the one thing I know for sure is that every form of abuse is not from God. And the second thing I know for sure is that for everyone who's been hurt, he wants them to heal and he's willing to move mountains to help make that possible for them. And, and so coming from that, I've experienced both. I've experienced the, the depth of despair. You know, what you, what you said really resonated with me. There's, there's an old, I think it's a Whitman quote, although correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure someone will, where <laughs> most men leave lives of quiet despair and die with the music still in them. I felt that way. I don't feel that way now. I feel more like singing the song of redeeming love as the scriptures say, where there was light, where maybe I passed through my Gehenna, but there was a, a road to Zion and my, for my loved ones as well. And, and again and again, I believe that that is what God wants to offer people. He doesn't want any of us to say, okay, men are that life might suck. <laughs> it's not what the scripture says. And it's not just, well, men are that they might have joy, but also women. Women, you're, you're not there to be the receptacles for men's unrepented sins. Um, when God said we are that we might have joy, when, when God talks about celestial families, eternal families, well, you know, even, even when we've heard from leaders of the church saying, look, if you want your family to be eternal, you'd better live in a way that they want to live with you now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's what he wants for us. And it's okay for us to want that for ourselves and to do something about it when that's not what's happening. Man, I, a uh, couple of things. One, I appreciate you being willing to share it, share that with me and, you know, subsequently everyone else too. Uh, sorry that, you know, that you had to go through that and that those that you love and care for had to go through that. Uh, and then lastly, where did this time go? It seemed like we just barely started talking and now our time is up, Dr. Anderson. If people want to be able to pick up your book, tell them the name again and where they would best get it. Absolutely. So it's called The Choice to Leave Abuse by Dr. Ryan Anderson. Um, you can find it most places you want to find books. So it's on Amazon. It's on cedarfort.com. It should be on, I think, by at least the end of this month, Bookshelves and Deseret Book. And you can even pick it up in places like Costco and things like that. Also, if you're interested for more information, I try to post a lot of relevant things on my Facebook page. It's just at the choice to leave abuse. Uh, love to have you come by. Hopefully we can share some things that will be helpful for you and for those around you. And we'll leave a link for that in the show notes as well so that people can just simply go there and click and be able to purchase it. You already answered one of the questions that we ask everyone who steps in the cultural hall, uh, letting us know that your calling right now is the 11 and 12-year-old Sunday school. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? So I'll be honest. I love teaching Sunday school to adults. I love being able to kind of take all those things and just dive deeper, um, understand culture, um, share thoughts. Uh, some of some of my favorite things, partially that's just because I really like studying the scriptures with my wife and that's mm -hmm. the way we do it. And I love being able to get down and, and fill the spirit with other people and have both our, our hearts and our minds and our spirits all fed. Um, that's a wonderful experience. I love that. Now, would you be Old Testament, New Testament, Doctrine and Covenants, or Book of Mormon? Which one? None of them scare me. Um, Old Testament's interesting, and it's a different kind of challenge. Um, but I don't know. I, my, my first scriptural love was the Book of Mormon. That's probably where I'd go back to over and over again. Fair enough. Although I love the four Gospels. You, hard hard to to pull me away from them i love that in the asking which one you'd pick you mentioned all of them <laughs> basically you're like yeah, you well there's the those. challenge of this <laughs> and there's the this and i love and there's the past of this thing you picked up on how i actually didn't keep your rule for that question at all so oh i know that. yeah oh listen i hear it i hear it and we'll talk about that in our next session dr anderson the last question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall uh we ask you to interpret it however you may but the question remains what is your favorite part of your faith? My favorite part of my faith is hope. 
hope that no matter what's going on for me, for the world, for my children, that there is something better coming always. I appreciate our conversation and our time today. I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat.